You're listening to the Northfield Radio Program with your host, Caleb Gordon. I'm excited you're here with me today. Merry Christmas. Have you guys got your Christmas lights up yet? I have mine up. We got all the Christmas candles lit. Everything is in full swing. I absolutely love this season. I know, and it's almost over with. It's so quick. I hope that uh, you're enjoying every ounce and every opportunity of this holiday season. If you have not gotten your Christmas shopping done, if you're looking for a stocking stuffer, may I humbly suggest Outpost Coffee. Not only do they have coffee, they have now sweatshirts, t-shirts, coffee mugs. They've got it all. Go check them out at outpostcoffeeco.com. So this week, I got to sit down with Dr. Everett Piper from Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He posted an article this last week on a couple of board members leaving a Christian university in California over quote-unquote drifting Christian orthodoxy. They're drifting away from Christian orthodoxy. So I sat down and asked him some questions about not just this university in California, but also why it is we as Christians are drifting away from a biblical worldview and replacing it with more of a culturally relevant worldview and if that's really going to work for our future. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Everett Piper. Welcome back to the Northfield Nation. Dr. Everett Piper, how in the world are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful. Glad you're here with us. So how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, Great. We relaxed a bit, uh, stayed at home, and had most of our family with us. Good. Our oldest son and his wife were with us, and then we had some folks from Oklahoma Wesleyan uh, that didn't have any place to go. We had them out and enjoyed, enjoyed Good. being thankful for God's grace and and the things that uh, we all take for granted that we should just pause and say, thank you, God, for giving me food, mm-hmm. family, faith, yep. great community. So are you uh, ready for Christmas? Uh, going to do the same for, I don't know what you're doing, but we're going to do the same. We're going to relax at my place and have our, our boys uh, home Good. for the holidays. That's, How that's, about you? We're going to do the same, just relax around the house yep. and uh, just probably going to go to the in-laws and then go to uh, my parents' house and then hang out around my house and cool. eat food. <laughs> it'd be good. That's a good thing. Yep, it'd be good. So uh, you uh, you just went to Rome. I did. That was saw that. Where, wh- where did you... Okay, so why did you go Okay. and what did you do? All right. Why did I go? I was invited by a Catholic organization, which I was really honored. You know, I'm, as your listeners should know... I'm an unapologetically conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing, born-again Christian. (gasps) Bible-believing? What? (laughs) And I was invited by our Catholic brothers and sisters, conservative Catholic uh, organization, invited me to go to the Vatican and actually be a speaker at a conference that was being conducted by this Catholic organization there in one of the pontifical uh, uh, schools. Uh, that was part of the Vatican. So I gave a lecture at this particular conference there in Rome. Nice. Very cool. So I saw some of the pictures. It just looked gorgeous. Oh, it was a phenomenal experience. First of all, I'm humbled. I was one of two evangelicals that was speaking at this conference. Second, I really gained an appreciation for our Catholic brothers and sisters who have tenaciously held, excuse me, held to the teachings and the history of the church. They've preserved it. They've protected it. They've guarded it. Sure. And I learned a lot about how those devout Catholics have stood tenaciously for tradition 
and for the history of the church. And in the face of the chronological snobbery of the emergent mush that exists <laughs> across our culture today, I'm just breathing a sigh of relief and saying, thank you, Jesus, that these people respect something that's older than five minutes. Yeah. Today we think we had a new idea about what to do with church five minutes ago, and everything that preceded it just needs to be chucked out the window and discarded as if, well, that's antiquated, that's old, that makes no sense. And we come up with these new ideas about what church should be or about what Christ is Mm -hmm. or what the Bible says, and we totally disregard the wisdom of the ages. And being over there in Rome uh, helped me to just relax and appreciate that, you know, the folks that preceded us by a few thousand years might have actually known something. They they, they were paying attention to something. Yeah, you know, Grandma and Grandpa might have been right. Yeah. Yeah, and they that and that's what I want to talk about a little bit is because I, I saw this post that you put on Facebook about Azusa uh, University College uh, in California, and a couple of their board members quit mm-hmm. uh, because of the waning or drifting from Christian Orthodoxy, uh, and, I, and I see this. And you posted in there on your in your on your Facebook post about how you know I've been telling you guys this for 16 years. If we keep getting away from biblical centered Christianity, this is where we're going to land. And why do you think it is that that I see this in culture? I see it in the Baptist Church. You see it in the Wesleyan Church. I mean, I I'm a part. I my kids go to the Wesleyan school, and I see it, some of the stuff in, in the Wesleyan world. I see how we're our hands-off approach to the Bible, and we don't want to, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. And, and so we keep our hands away from the Scriptures because we don't want to offend someone. So we, we grab onto uh, what's culturally relevant. What's new. Yeah, what's new. And, and you've got people like Lauren Daigle that are pop Christian stars. And, well, I'm not God, so I can't really say that homosexuality is sin. So, you know. Well, God did. So you might want to just quote him. <laughs> I mean, they're crazy. It is. Caleb, they're crazy. And this Azusa Pacific University story is a poster child of the problem. And again, it's not news to me. I've been watching this for 20 years or more in terms of the Christian college community watering itself down on a daily basis because they've got a low view of Scripture. Mm -hmm. People ask why this is going on in the church, why it's going on in the Christian college community, why it's going on in our culture. Well, it's because we've got a low view of Scripture. We don't believe it any longer. And again, we think that because Scripture is older than five minutes that it's irrelevant. So we came up with a new idea yesterday, and everything that preceded that is old and stupid and antiquated. That is ridiculous. C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. And he actually said, if you want to read a new book, you might want to try reading maybe a dozen old ones first, because Mm -hmm. those dozen old books exist and are still in print Mm -hmm. because they've proven themselves over the course of time of being true. So the wisdom of the ages is discarded in our culture today. The emergent movement, the postmodern movement, the millennial movement is all a movement of chronological arrogance, chronological snobbery. And you see it at Azusa. These guys don't have a high view of Scripture, Mm -hmm. and therefore they can't deal with the cultural issues of our times, such as something as simple as sexual morality. Mm -hmm. Is the Bible clear on how you're supposed to behave sexually or not? Yes, it has been clear for thousands of years. There is no ambiguity here. This is not being judgmental. This is not playing God. It's just trusting the word of God and its clarity. But even a university like Azusa Pacific is confused on this matter. I wrote my dissertation on this stuff, stuff some 20 years ago because I saw it coming. I've been warning, I've been warning, I've been warning, even within my own community here at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, yeah. if we don't 
tenaciously defend the tradition, reason, experience, and the scripture of our faith, we will lose ground. And yeah. indeed, Azusa proves it. it, it it's, and, uh, you know, you and I, before we started recording here, I, I said Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, mm-hmm. talks about uh, these, what's going to come in the last days. And I think we're seeing some of this. I, I believe that we're, we're, we're in the last days. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even if Jesus doesn't come for another thousand years, that's a blink, you know, that's just really quick. We're in the last days. We're in the last days. True. And so I, I read this. It says, understand this in the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, up to that point, what does that sound like? If Us. Okay. Well, uh, I, our culture it, right now. Our culture right now. But let's go a little bit further in verse 5. It says, having an appearance of godliness. So you've got people that, quote unquote, because nine, what is it, 90 something percent of Americans say that they're believers. Right. That they, oh, I believe in God. Yeah. So does the devil, by the way. James, yeah, James 2.19. They, Even the demons believe yeah. and tremble. Yeah. So there's got to be something here. Anyway, go ahead. Something. I interrupted you. I, no, you're fine, because that, that's where I want to go with this is, is having this appearance of godliness, but they deny the power. Mm-hmm. Like, so everybody is a Christian, quote unquote, if you have a conversation with them. Everybody's going to heaven. I mean, you, you talk to them you know, in conversation. Everybody, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Why? Well, I'm a good guy. Exactly. I, 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 I'm not bad. Okay. Scripture says that they have an appearance, but there's no power. And this is the kind of stuff where we, where we drift, quote unquote, drift from our Christian orthodoxy mm-hmm. in order to hold on to the new stuff that's coming out because we, we don't want to offend. We want to look cool. We want to look awesome. And we want people to think we're all in. But these rules, quote unquote, these commandments, these messages from the gospel, from the Bible, from the scriptures have been... Um, they've tested, or they've been time tested, and they've they've held they've been, true. They've been proven over two thousand years, in the case of that particular passage, to be accurate and true. And they're particularly pertinent today because it is a message for our time. I mean, arrogant. Uh, read some of the other. You said uh, arrogant, yeah, ar- arrogant, disobedient to parents, lovers of self, lovers, lovers of, of money. Self. Uh, lovers of pleasure. Disobedient I mean, to parents. Of, yeah. Disrespecting their elders, etc. Sure. So that's exactly what we're dealing with today. And I know I'm a one-string banjo with you today, Caleb, but the, it's really, uh, it's a burr under my saddle right now. Well, I think it needs to be said because it's it's happening everywhere. It's not just at Azusa oh, no. College. It's in, no. in churches in our own city that oh. this kind of stuff is happening. This is pervasive across the church. It goes back to a low view of Scripture. If we don't believe the Word of God is inerrant, infallible, authoritative, yes. and true, if we don't believe it's the measuring rod outside of those things being measured, yes. if we don't believe it to be the trump card over every other opinion or debate, then we will elevate ourselves to be as God like the original sin tells us because we can define what's good. We can define what's evil. We can define everything because we are as God. We don't need God any longer because we're good enough in and of ourselves mm-hmm. to make all of those decisions. Well, isn't that who we are today? We've got this elevated view of man. Oh, we're yeah. good. And we've got this diminished view of the Bible, well, it's an ancient document. It's an ancient document, and well, we can redefine that. We can mm-hmm. t- contextualize that. We can pick and choose what we agree or disagree with. 
And we can even dumb down orthodoxy. Generous Orthodoxy by Brian McLaren. It's about 10, 15 years old now. Yep. What did he say? It's a terrible book. It's a terrible view. But it's something everybody should have been reading at the time because McLaren basically told us what his worldview would lead to. And he said this. And it's worth there. It, it's, McLaren said, it's not the right ideas about Jesus that matter as much as the right relationship with oh Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Now, doesn't that sound nice and rosy it and It sounds fuzzy? cute. Everybody in the church said, oh, great stuff. Stop and think what he just said. Mm -hmm. The right ideas about Jesus don't matter. It's the right relationship with Jesus that does. Well, you should ask yourself the logical question. Which Jesus is it that you're having a relationship with if you don't care about the ideas that define him? Yeah. It'll end up being a Jesus that you're making up rather than the reality of the word made flesh and dwelling among us that mm -hmm. is defined explicitly and clearly in the Bible. Absolutely. I've got news for everybody listening today. You don't get to make up your own Jesus. No. You don't. He's well-defined quite well. He's, he's, he's quite well-defined, thank you, in the Bible. <laughs> he, and you don't get to make him up as you go. No, absolutely not. That, you nailed it on the head. And I, and here's the thing that, that I struggle with and I see. I mean, I just read a Barna report. Mm. And in this Barna report, I pull it up here. 50, this is 51% of churchgoers. This is not lost people. This is not uh, pagans. These are 51% of churchgoers don't know what the Great Commission is. They, they don't know. Uh, when asked if they had heard of the Great Commission, over half of U.S. churchgoers say they don't know what it is. 25% um, say they've heard of it, but they don't know exactly what it means. So that really is they don't know either. Um, and then you keep going, 6% were unsure, mm -hmm. and then 17% said, yeah, I know exactly what that is. But if you read the majority, that's more than 50. I mean, it's 51% don't know what it is. 25% have heard of it, but they don't know exactly what it is. That's, I mean, they, they don't know. <laughs> and if you ask, if you read the same Barner report, which I'm sure you have, you've got various other questions in that Mm -hmm. particular report that deal with biblical orthodoxy. For example, the exclusivity is of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. And then Barna asks, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And over 50% of evangelicals say no. They believe you can get to heaven through different faiths. Wow. Okay. The Oprah view. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're more, they worship this new Gnosticism of Oprah mm -hmm. um, rather than the orthodoxy of Scripture. So uh, there crazy. are other, do they believe that the Bible is the final authority? And again, over 50% will say no. The basic tenets of our faith, the things that define Christianity, are being called into question, not just by culture, even those that claim to be churched. Mm -hmm. We have to ask ourselves, why? Where did we lose the catechism, the definition, the education of the next generation of believers and what it means to be a Christian? Where did we lose that? Did we lose it in the school? Did we lose it at the pulpit? Where did we lose it? Because it's true that we have. When you've got yeah. half of your congregants that can't tell you the difference between sick them and get them up when it comes to our faith, we've yeah. got a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... <sighs> In my, in my opinion, I think, honestly, it came down to parents. This mm -hmm. parents, church-going parents are more concerned with a ball than they are with the scriptures. They're more concerned with hunting 
than they are. You know, yeah. We're in Oklahoma, so they're more concerned with hunting and these things. But church attendance, church membership, knowing the scriptures, eh, I mean, it, maybe. But it's and not it, really that big of a deal. And as an educator, I would bring it back to I think a lot of the fault lies in the decisions that parents make in terms of education. Sure. Hitler said, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. Yep. Richard Weaver said, ideas have consequences, bad ideas, bad consequences, good ideas, good consequences. Abraham Lincoln said that the philosophy of one generation in the schoolroom will become the philosophy of the next generation in government. Yeah. All right. So what we're teaching in the schools is going to play itself out in our culture, in our government, in our churches, and in in, in every aspect of culture and society. And we see that today. And parents are making decisions on how to educate their kids in a way that's basically postmodern indoctrination. Yeah. And they don't seem to care. They're not calling no. they're not calling the bluff of the educational establishment in terms of teaching sound principles of virtue rather than victimization and trigger warnings and microaggressions and identity politics and gender theory. Who cares about any of that stuff? Teach kids how to read, write, and count and teach them what godly character means Mm -hmm. and we'd have a much better... It'd be so much easier. A much better culture as a result. And and I think if, when it comes to this identity politics or identity, who you are gender-wise and your gender could be fluid and all this... Psalms 139 tells us that God created you in your mother's womb before the foundation of the world. He knew who you were. And there's other texts that say he knows how many hairs are on your head. So God knew who you were before you were even born. He assigned your identity. He made you who you are for a purpose. He made you a girl. He made you a boy for a reason. And if parents, Christian parents, I'm not talking about non-Christian parents. I'm talking about Christian parents. If they got in this and when the when when little Johnny or little Susie comes home and says, Well oh, Dad, I, I think I'm a I think I'm a boy, even though I'm a girl. Oh, you know, I think I'm a girl even though I'm a, you know. if mom and dad would just say loving, not freak out, don't don't just sit down and be like, well, what what's the scripture say? What does God say about who you are? If parents did that more than rather than just, well, I don't want to offend little you do what you want to do. You do your thing. If parents would be parents rather than allowing their children to parent them. Yes. How, why do parents seem to feel they need to follow their chil- their child's uh, confusion or morality or lack thereof? It, 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 I'm frankly sick and tired of hearing parents change their entire worldview and their entire view on morality simply because they've got a teenager yeah. that is behaving in a way that is not consistent with the way the parents used to believe. And then all of a sudden the parents flip. And, and they shift, totally yeah. You know, you're supposed to be a parent. You're supposed to lead, not follow. And sometimes you're not going to be popular in your decisions that you make as a parent. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that seems self-evident to me. Your I, boys I, always thought you were amazing yeah, and never yeah. made any wrong yeah, choices, one of these right? these days they'll figure out that I was actually pretty smart all along. <laughs> but we all know that. You know, you're a hero the first, uh, what, 10 years of your kid's life, and yep. then you are incredibly stupid for the next 10 years of your kid's life. And then all of a sudden when they're 21, 22, 23, they realize you weren't all that well, you're stupid actually, after all. You're you, smart, you actually Dad. know what you're talking about. So we all know that as parents, and we should lead accordingly. And the I agree with you, Caleb, that the issue of poor parenting is paramount right now because we want to be liked, we want to be popular rather than we want to be right and we want to lead and guide our children and our culture 
in the right direction, or orthodox direction, yeah. a, a direction of right ideas, and an orthopraxy direction, a, a direction of right behavior. Absolutely. And I think something else, I mean, along with the parenting, I think pastors and leaders in the church should, if, if they're standing in the pulpit teaching biblical parental guidance, you know, this is what mom and dad should be doing. This is what you as a child should be doing. If they're preaching that from the pulpit, if you've got, that, you know, as the pulpit goes, so goes the pew. And if the pulpit's driving in a biblical worldview, because we got we got churches in this very city who, not very far from here, just right over there, huge church, building. Well, I don't know how many people go in there, but I know it's a big building. They just are kind of, they, you know, they're all, all in on. Well, if you want to be a boy, you can be a boy. If you want to be a girl, it doesn't on matter. That, on that issue, what six-year-old knows anything about sex or cares? It, they shouldn't. Yeah, you know, at I, six years old, I didn't even think about. Well, sex. Well, they don't, and that's a fact. I mean, one of the degrees I do hold is a degree in psychology, and I can tell you right now that psychological theory, as well as psychological fact, the science of psychology. There is no kid that's five, six, seven years old that understands sexuality mm-hmm. and really even cares Doesn't about care. it. This is not a priority issue in their lives. So if, when you see the news <laughs> that a six-year-old thinks that he's a girl and that mom and dad are actually going to support this kid in transgender surgery, this is mutilation, this is child abuse because it this is kid abuse. is not mentally, cognitively, socially or psychologically capable of even understanding. And this understanding. will mess them up for the rest of their life. You're, you're, you're cutting off portions of his body mm-hmm. because he said at six years old he didn't understand biology, physiology, and he didn't understand the very nature of what it means to be a male or a female. Why in the world? There's a case in Texas right now where the Texas courts have uh, ruled in favor of the parents to basically castrate their son because mm-hmm. their th- son believes he's a girl. Uh, How old is their son? Six years old. That is just asinine. It, it's, it's, it's child abuse. It is. It's child abuse. These parents are, are imposing their sexual morality, or lack thereof, lack onto a six-year-old child, and the child will be maimed for life as the result. I, it just it blows my mind. And this is, this is stuff that's taking place in churches, too. Church members, people that say they know and love and believe in the God of the Bible— you know what? Who are you? To, who are you to impose your views on? Well, it's this. It's this attitude that well, you judge not, lest you be judged. Oh, gee. I hate it. This most abused uh, passage of scripture. Yeah, it is. That's the one Bible verse that people supposedly know today, but they take it totally out <laughs> they don't of context. Know the, because yeah. Jesus didn't say don't judge. He said judge not, lest he be judged. And the rest of the passage out of which that comes, Jesus proceeds to tell us that by their fruit you shall know them. So Jesus is telling us that you can look at an individual's fruit in their lives and you will know them as the result of that fruit, i.e. you can judge them accordingly exactly. and recognize who they are. When he says, judge not lest he be judged, he's saying, be careful. Yeah, because be if careful. you are going to judge someone else, you have to realize that that same measuring rod will be used on you. In other words, don't be a hypocrite. This judge not lest he be judged nonsense is unbiblical. And the church of all places should recognize that. We should. But once again, we've got people that are in leadership roles that shouldn't, they should be selling cars. Tolerance, 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 tolerance. We're supposed to be tolerant (sighs) rather than, you know, preach the truth. I think I told you I was once on Bill O'Reilly's show and we got into the issue of tolerance. And finally, I looked at Mr. O'Reilly and I said, Mr. O'Reilly, on your anniversary, did you send your wife an I tolerate you card? 
and there was a pause. <laughs> and I said, I'm guessing you probably didn't. <laughs> because tolerance is an inferior virtue. Sure. But Christian charity, love, is a superior virtue. You didn't send your wife and I tolerate your card. It wouldn't have ended well if you did. No. Love is superior Absolutely. to tolerance. Absolutely. It is. So, in the five minutes we've got left. Okay. What's the answer to, what What can we do in the city we live in? You know, Second Samuel says that we should contend for our faith and we should, that we should go after and, 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 and help our cities, help our communities. What, what, how can we do that? How can we help our community? What can we do? I believe truth wins. Okay. I trust the truth. It's one of the reasons why I like the liberal arts model, because the liberal arts model was traditionally a model that would liberate our community, liberate our culture, liberate our town, our township, our villages, our church, our culture, our corporations. That's what a liberal arts institution was supposed to do, teach you the laws of liberty. Yeah. Laws of liberty. There is no liberty without those laws. Exactly. There is no freedom without those fences. The paradox of discipline and freedom. So what can we do? We can continue to speak the truth with confidence and courage, with grace, but speak the truth because I believe it'll win. Yeah. Truth will win over lies. It may take time. We may have to fight the good fight in the process. We may be uh, beat up uh, in the newspaper or on radio periodically because people disagree with us. But who cares? Yep. Speak the truth with clarity and confidence and trust that it will win. The other thing is... Attack ideas. Don't attack people. Never get thank you. Yes. Never get dragged into this conversation where you're you've been called a name, you've been called stupid, you've been called an idiot. So you return the favor to your adversary. Yeah. Ignore them. Ignore them. The people, the personalities, the names of these individuals does not matter. These things do not matter. What matters is the idea. Attack the idea. Don't attack the person. And do it with confidence and courage. Resting on the truth with a capital T rather than the opinions of this postmodern culture, and we will win. Awesome. At the end of the day, we win. Amen. Wouldn't you uh, dismiss us in prayer? Heavenly Father, thanks for this time of year where we are encouraged by our leaders and by the church to remember the sacrifices that have been made for our freedom. Thanksgiving season. We're thankful for those sacrifices that have led to our ability to even have this conversation in this country and in this culture. But more important, as we go into the Christmas season, Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you. We're thankful for Jesus Christ and the fact that he is Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh and dwelling among us and the fact that we can have salvation through him if we confess our sins. Mm -hmm. He, you, are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for the Christmas story. And that's exactly what it is. God is with us and we can be forgiven through Jesus Christ and his blood and his resurrection. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, go get them. This program has been brought to you by DSR, a technology company that has been investing in Bartles of a families for over 35 years. DSR, we deliver technology.